Part Three of the Last Lords of Gerdinel by William Gilbert. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Immediately after the departure of his prisoners, the Baron began to make preparations for his wedding, for although he detested the innominato in his heart, he had still the fullest reliance on his fulfilling the promise he had made. His assurance was further confirmed by a messenger from the astrologer to inform him that on the next wednesday the affianced bride would arrive with her suite and that he the nominato had given this notice that all things might be in readiness for the ceremony neither expense nor exertion was spared by the baron to make his nuptials imposing and magnificent the chapel belonging to the castle which had been allowed to fall into a most neglected condition was put into order the altar redecorated and the walls hung with tapestry preparations were made in the inner hall for a banquet on the grandest scale which was to be given after the ceremony and on a dais in the main hall into which the bride was to be conducted on her arrival were placed two chairs of state where the baron and his bride were to be seated when the day arrived for the wedding everything was prepared for the reception of the bride as no hour had been named for her arrival all persons who were to be engaged in the ceremony were ready in the castle by break of day and the baron in a state of great excitement mounted to the top of the watch-tower that he might be able to give orders to the rest the moment her cavalcade appeared in sight hour after hour passed but still teresa did not make her appearance and at last the baron began to feel considerable anxiety on the subject at last a mist which had been over a part of the valley cleared up and all the anxiety of the baron was dispelled for in the distance he perceived a group of travellers approaching the castle some mounted on horseback and some on foot in front rode the bride on a superb white palfrey her face covered with a thick veil on each side of her rode an esquire magnificently dressed behind her were a waiting woman on horseback and two men-servants and in the rear were several led mules laden with packages the baron now quitted his position in the tower and descended to the castle gates to receive his bride when he arrived there he found one of the esquires who had ridden forward at the desire of his mistress waiting to speak to him i have been ordered he said to the baron by the lady teresa to request that you will be good enough to allow her to change her dress before she meets you the baron of course willingly assented and then retired into the hall destined for the reception ceremony shortly afterwards teresa arrived at the castle and being helped from her palfrey she proceeded with her lady-in-waiting and a female attendant who had been engaged by the baron into her private apartment while two of the muleteers brought up a large trunk containing her wedding-dress in less than an hour teresa left her room to be introduced to the baron and was conducted into his presence by one of the esquires as soon as she entered the hall a cry of admiration arose from all present so extraordinary was her beauty 
the baron in a state of breathless emotion advanced to meet her but before he had reached her she bent on her knee and remained in that position till he had raised her up kneel not to me thou lovely one he said it is for all present to kneel to thee in adoration of thy wonderful beauty rather than for thee to bend to any one so saying and holding her hand he led her to one of the seats on the dais and then seating himself by her side gave orders for the ceremony of introduction to begin one by one the different persons to be presented were led up to her all of whom she received with a grace and amiability which raised her very high in their estimation when the ceremony of introduction was over the baron ordered that the procession should be formed and then taking teresa by the hand he led her into the chapel followed by the others when all were arranged in their proper places the marriage ceremony was performed by the priest and the newly married couple with the retainers and guests entered into the banqueting hall splendid as was the repast which had been prepared for the company their attention seemed for some time more drawn to the baron and his bride than to the duties of the feast a handsomer couple it would have been impossible to find the baron himself as has been stated already had no lack of manly beauty either in face or form while the loveliness of his bride appeared almost more than mortal even their splendid attire seemed to attract little notice when compared with their personal beauty after the surprise and admiration had somewhat abated the feast progressed more satisfactorily all were in high spirits and good humour and conviviality reigned throughout the hall even on the baron it seemed to produce a kindly effect so that few who could have seen him at that moment would have imagined him to be the stern cold-blooded tyrant he really was his countenance was lighted up with good humour and friendliness much as his attention was occupied with his bride he had still a little to bestow on his guests and he rose many times from his seat to request the attention of the servants to their wants at last he cast his eye over the tables as if searching for some person whom he could not see and he then beckoned to the major-domo who staff of office in hand advanced to receive his orders i do not see the esquires of the lady teresa in the room said the baron your excellency said the man they are not here how is that said the baron with some impatience you ought to have found room for them in the hall where are they your excellency said the major-domo who from the expression of the baron's countenance evidently expected a storm they are not here the whole of the suite left the castle immediately after the mules were unladen and her ladyship had left her room i was inspecting the places which i had prepared for them when a servant came forward and told me that the esquires and attendants had left the castle i at once hurried after them and begged they would return as i was sure your excellency would feel hurt if they did not stay to the banquet but they told me they had received express orders to leave the castle directly after they had seen the lady teresa lodged safely in it 
i again entreated them to stay but it was useless they hurried on their way and i returned by myself the ill-bred hounds said the baron in anger a sound scourging would have taught them better manners do not be angry with them said teresa laying her hand gently on that of her husband's they did but obey their master's orders some day i swear said the baron i will be revenged on their master for this insult miserable churl that he is he had no sooner uttered these words than he looked round him for the sparrow but the bird did not make its appearance possibly its absence alarmed him even more than its presence would have done for he began to dread lest the vengeance of the astrologer was about to fall on him without giving him the usual notice teresa perceiving the expression of his countenance did all in her power to calm him but for some time she but partially succeeded he continued to glance anxiously about him to ascertain if possible from which side the blow might come he was just on the point of raising a goblet to his lips when the idea seized him that the wine might be poisoned he declined to touch food for the same reason the idea of being struck with death when at the height of his happiness seemed to overwhelm him thanks however to the kind soothing of teresa as well as the absence of any visible effects of the anominato's anger he at last became completely reassured and the feast proceeded long before the banquet had concluded the baron and his wife quitted the hall and retired through their private apartments to the terrace of the castle the evening which was now rapidly advancing was warm and genial and not a cloud was to be seen in the atmosphere for some time they walked together up and down on the terrace and afterwards they seated themselves on a bench there with his arm round her waist and her head leaning on his shoulder they watched the sun in all his magnificence sinking behind the mountains the sun had almost disappeared when the baron took his wife's hand in his how cold thou art my dear he said to her let us go in teresa made no answer but rising from her seat was conducted by her husband into the room which opened on to the terrace and which was lighted by a large brass lamp which hung by a chain from the ceiling when they were nearly under the lamp whose light increased as the daylight declined conrad again cast his arm round his wife and fondly pressed her head to his breast they remained thus for some moments entranced in their happiness dost thou really love me teresa asked the baron love you said teresa now burying her face in his bosom love you yes dearer than all the world my very existence hangs on your life when that ceases my existence ends when she had uttered these words conrad in a state of intense happiness said to her kiss me my beloved teresa still kept her face pressed on his bosom and conrad to overcome her coyness placed his hand on her head and gently pressed it backwards so that he might kiss her he stood motionless 
aghast with horror for the light of the lamp above their heads showed him no longer the angelic features of teresa but the hideous face of a corpse that had remained some time in the tomb and whose only sign of vitality was a horrible phosphoric light which shone in its eyes conrad now tried to rush from the room and to scream for assistance but in vain with one arm she clasped him tightly round the waist and raising the other she placed her clammy hand upon his mouth and threw him with great force upon the floor then seizing the side of his neck with her lips she deliberately and slowly sucked from him his life's blood while he utterly incapable either of moving or crying was yet perfectly conscious of the awful fate that was awaiting him in this manner conrad remained for some hours in the arms of his vampire wife at last faintness came over him and he grew insensible the sun had risen some hours before consciousness returned he rose from the ground horror-stricken and pallid and glanced fearfully around him to see if teresa were still there but he found himself alone in the room for some minutes he remained undecided what step to take at last he rose from his chair to leave the apartment but he was so weak he could scarcely drag himself along when he left the room he bent his steps towards the courtyard each person he met saluted him with the most profound respect while on the countenance of each was visible an expression of intense surprise so altered was he from the athletic young man they had seen him the day before presently he heard the merry laughter of a number of children and immediately hastened to the spot from whence the noise came to his surprise he found his wife teresa in full possession of her beauty playing with several children whose mothers had brought them to see her and who stood delighted with the condescending kindness of the baroness towards their little ones conrad remained motionless for some moments gazing with intense surprise at his wife and the idea occurred to him that the events of the last night must have been a terrible dream and nothing more but he was at a loss how to account for his bodily weakness teresa in the midst of her gambols with the children accidentally raised her head and perceived her husband she uttered a slight cry of pleasure when she saw him and snatching up in her arms a beautiful child she had been playing with she rushed towards him exclaiming look dear conrad what a little beauty this is is he not a little cherub the baron gazed wildly at his wife for a few moments but said nothing my dearest husband what ails you said teresa are you not well conrad made no answer but turning suddenly round staggered hurriedly away while teresa with an expression of alarm and anxiety on her face followed him with her eyes as he went he still hurried on till he reached the small sitting-room from which he was accustomed each morning to issue his orders to his dependents and seated himself in a chair to recover if possible from the bewilderment he was in presently ludovico 
whose duty it was to attend on his master every morning for instructions entered the room and bowing respectfully to the baron stood silently aside waiting till he should be spoken to but during the time marking the baron's altered appearance with the most intense curiosity after some moments the baron asked him what he saw to make him stare in that manner pardon my boldness your excellency said ludovica but i was afraid you might be ill i trust i am in error what should make you think i am unwell inquired the baron your highness's countenance is far paler than usual and there is a small wound on the side of your throat i hope you have not injured yourself the last remark of ludovico decided the baron that the events of the evening had been no hallucination what stronger proof could be required than the marks of his vampire wife's teeth still upon him he perceived that some course of action must be at once decided upon and the urgency of his position aided him to concentrate his thoughts he determined on visiting a celebrated anchorite who lived in the mountains about four leagues distant and who was famous not only for the piety of his life but for his power in exorcising evil spirits having come to this resolution he desired ludovico immediately to saddle for him a sure-footed mule as the path to the anchorite's dwelling was not only difficult but dangerous ludovico bowed and after having been informed that there were no other orders he left the room wondering in his mind what could be the reason for his master's wishing a mule saddled when he generally rode only the highest spirited horses the conclusion he came to was that the baron must have been attacked with some serious illness and was about to proceed to some skilful leech as soon as ludovico had left the room the baron called to one of the servants whom he saw passing and ordered breakfast to be brought to him immediately hoping that by a hearty meal he should recover sufficient strength for the journey he was about to undertake to a certain extent he succeeded though possibly it was from the quantity of wine he drank rather than from any other cause for he had no appetite and had eaten but little he now descended into the courtyard of the castle cautiously avoiding his wife finding the mule in readiness he mounted it and started on his journey for some time he went along quietly and slowly for he still felt weak and languid but as he attained a higher elevation of the mountains the cold breeze seemed to invigorate him he now began to consider how he could rid himself of the horrible vampire he had married and of whose real nature he had no longer any doubt speculations on this subject occupied him till he had entered on a narrow path on the slope of an exceedingly high mountain it was difficult to keep footing and it required all his caution to prevent himself from falling of fear however the baron had none and his thoughts continued to run on the possibility of separating himself from teresa and on what vengeance he would take on the innominato for the treachery he had practised on him as soon as he should be fairly freed the more he dwelt on his revenge the more excited he became till at last he exclaimed aloud infamous wretch let me be but once fairly released 
from the execrable fiend you have imposed upon me and i swear i will burn thee alive in thy castle as a fitting punishment for the sorcery thou hast practised conrad had hardly uttered these words when the pathway upon which he was riding gave way beneath him and glided down the incline into a tremendous precipice below he succeeded in throwing himself from his mule which with the debris of the rocks was hurried over the precipice while he clutched with the energy of despair at each object he saw likely to give him a moment's support but everything he touched gave way and he gradually sank and sank towards the verge of the precipice his efforts to save himself becoming more violent the nearer he approached to what appeared certain death down he sank till his legs actually hung over the precipice when he succeeded in grasping a stone somewhat firmer than the others thus retarding his fall for a moment in horror he now glanced at the terrible chasm beneath him when suddenly different objects came before his mind with fearful reality there was an unhappy peasant who had without permission killed a head of game hanging from the branch of a tree still struggling in the agonies of death while his wife and children were in vain imploring the baron's clemency this vanished and he saw a boy with a knife in his hand stabbing at his own mother for some slight offence she had given him this passed and he found himself in a small village the inhabitants of which were all dead within their houses for at the approach of winter he had in a fit of ill-temper ordered his retainers to take from them all their provisions and a snowstorm coming on immediately afterwards they were blocked up in their dwellings and all perished again his thoughts reverted to the position he was in and his eye glanced over the terrible precipice that yawned beneath him when he saw as if in a dream the house of beefy the farmer with his wife and children around him apparently contented and happy as soon as he had realized the idea the stone which he had clutched began to give way and all seemed lost to him when a sparrow suddenly flew on the earth a short distance from him and immediately afterwards darted away save but my life screamed the baron and i swear i will keep all secret the words had hardly been uttered when a goatherd with a long staff in his hand appeared on the incline above him the man perceiving the imminent peril of the baron with great caution and yet with great activity descended to assist him he succeeded in reaching a ledge of rock a few feet above and rather to the side of the baron to whom he stretched forth the long mountain staff in his hand the baron clutched it with such energy as would certainly have drawn the goatherd over with him had it not been that the latter was a remarkably powerful man with some difficulty the baron reached the ledge of the rock and the goatherd then ascended to a higher position and in like manner drew the baron on till at last he had contrived to get him to a place of safety as soon as conrad found himself out of danger he gazed wildly around him for a moment then dizziness came over him and he sank fainting on the ground 
when the baron had recovered his senses he found himself so weak that it would have been impossible for him to have reached the castle that evening he therefore willingly accompanied the goatherd to his hut in the mountains where he proposed to pass the night the man made what provision he could for his illustrious guest and prepared him a supper of the best his hut afforded but had the latter been composed of the most exquisite delicacies it would have been equally tasteless for conrad had not the slightest appetite evening was now rapidly approaching and the goatherd prepared a bed of leaves over which he threw a cloak and the baron utterly exhausted reposed on it for the night without anything occurring to disturb his rest next morning he found himself somewhat refreshed by his night's rest and he prepared to return to the castle assisted by the goatherd to whom he had promised a handsome reward he had now given up all idea of visiting the anchorite dreading that by so doing he might excite the animosity of the anominato of whose tremendous power he had lately received more than ample proof in due time he reached home in safety and the goatherd was dismissed after having received the promised reward on entering the castle-yard the baron found his wife in a state of great alarm and sorrow and surrounded by the retainers no sooner did she perceive her husband than uttering a cry of delight and surprise she rushed forward to clasp him in her arms but the baron pushed her rudely away and hurrying forwards directed his steps to the room in which he was accustomed to issue his orders ludovico having heard of the arrival of his master immediately waited on him ludovico said the baron as soon as he saw him i want you to execute an order for me with great promptitude and secrecy go below and prepare two good horses for a journey one for you the other for myself see that we take with us provisions and equipments for two or three days as soon as they are in readiness leave the castle with them without speaking to any one and wait for me about a league up the mountain where in less than two hours i will join you now see that you faithfully carry out my orders and if you do so i assure you you will lose nothing by your obedience ludovico left the baron's presence to execute his order when immediately afterwards a servant came into the room and inquired if the lady teresa might enter tell your mistress said the baron in a tone of great courtesy and kindness that i hope she will excuse me for the moment as i am deeply engaged in affairs of importance but i shall await her visit with great impatience in the afternoon the baron now left to himself began to draw out more fully the plan for his future operations he resolved to visit his brother hermann and consult him as to what steps he ought to take in this horrible emergency and in case no better means presented themselves he determined on offering to give up to hermann the castle of gerdenau and the whole valley of the engadine on condition of receiving from him an annuity sufficient to support him in the position he had always been accustomed to maintain he then intended to retire to some distant country where there would be no probability of his being followed by the horrible monster whom he had accepted as his wife 
of course he had no intention of receiving teresa in the afternoon and he had merely put off her visit for the purpose of allowing himself to escape with greater convenience from the castle about an hour after ludovico had left him the baron quitted the castle by a postern with as much haste as his enfeebled strength would allow and hurried after his retainer whom he found waiting him with the horses the baron immediately mounted one and followed by ludovico took the road to his brother's where in three days he arrived in safety hermann received his brother with great pleasure though much surprised at the alteration in his appearance my dear conrad he said to him what can possibly have occurred to you you look very pale weak and haggard have you been ill worse a thousand times worse said conrad let us go where we may be by ourselves and i will tell you all hermann led his brother into a private room where conrad explained to him the terrible misfortune which had befallen him hermann listened attentively and for some time could not help doubting whether his brother's mind was not affected but conrad explained everything in so circumstantial and lucid a manner as to dispel that idea to the proposition which conrad made to make over the territory of the engadine valley for an annuity hermann promised to give full consideration at the same time before any further steps were taken in the matter he advised conrad to visit a villa he had on the seashore about ten miles distant from genoa where in quiet and seclusion he would be able to recover his energies conrad thanked his brother for his advice and willingly accepted the offer two days afterwards he started on the journey and by the end of the week arrived safely and without difficulty at the villa on the evening of his arrival conrad who had employed himself during the afternoon in visiting the different apartments as well as the grounds surrounding the villa was seated at a window overlooking the sea the evening was deliciously calm and he felt such ease and security as he had not enjoyed for some time past the sun was sinking in the ocean and the moon began to appear and the stars one by one to shine in the cloudless heavens the thought crossed conrad's mind that the sight of the sun sinking in the waters strongly resembled his own position when he fell over the precipice the thought had hardly been conceived when some one touched him on the shoulder he turned round and saw standing before him in the full majesty of her beauty his wife teresa my dearest conrad she said with much affection in her tone why have you treated me in this cruel manner it was most unkind in you to leave me suddenly without giving the slightest hint of your intentions execrable fiend said conrad springing from his chair leave me why do you haunt me in this manner do not speak so harshly to me my dear husband said teresa to oblige you i was taken from my grave and on you now my very existence depends rather my death said conrad one night more such as we passed and i should be a corpse nay dear conrad said teresa 
i have the power of indefinitely prolonging your life drink but of this she continued taking from the table behind her a silver goblet and to-morrow all ill effects will have passed away conrad mechanically took the goblet from her hand and was on the point of raising it to his lips when he suddenly stopped and with a shudder replaced it again on the table it is blood he said true my dear husband said teresa what else could it be my life is dependent on your life's blood and when that ceases so does my life drink then i implore you she continued again offering him the goblet look the sun has already sunk beneath the wave a minute more and daylight will have gone drink conrad i implore you or this night will be your last conrad again took the goblet from her hand to raise it to his lips but it was impossible and he placed it on the table a ray of pure moonlight now penetrated the room as if to prove that the light of day had fled teresa again transformed into a horrible vampire flew at her husband and throwing him on the floor fastened her teeth on the half-healed wound in his throat the next morning when the servants entered the room they found the baron a corpse on the floor but teresa was nowhere to be seen nor was she ever heard of afterwards little more remains to be told hermann took possession of the castle of gerdinal and the valley of the engadine and treated his vassals with even more despotism than his brother had done before him at last driven to desperation they rose against him and slew him and the valley afterwards became absorbed into the canton of the grisson end of part three and end of the last lords of gerdinal first published in the argosy in 1867. Thank you for listening.